This sermon was first preached by Charles Haddon Spurgeon on December 2nd of 1888. And uh, the scripture is from 1 Peter 1, verse 7. The sermon is titled, The Trial of Your Faith. Reading now. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the, of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, manifold temptations. Here's our text. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found and to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So the sermon titled, The Trial of Your Faith. And Spurgeon references only that part of the verse. First Peter 1 verse 7 only mentions the trial of your faith. It is a great thing if any man can truthfully speak to you about your faith. For not all men have faith, and wherever faith is found, it is the sign of divine favor. True faith is, in every case, of the operation of the Spirit of God. Its nature is purifying, elevating, heavenly. It is, of all things that can be cultivated in the human breast, one of the most precious. It is called like precious faith, and it is styled the faith of God's elect. Wherever faith is found, it is the sure mark of eternal election, the sign of a blessed condition, the forecast of a heavenly destiny. Faith is the eye of the renewed soul, the hand of the regenerated mind, the mouth of the newborn spirit. It is the evidence of spiritual life. It is the mainspring of holiness. It is the foundation of delight. It is the prophecy of glory. It is the dawn of endless knowledge. If you have faith, you have infinitely more than he who has the entire world and is destitute of faith. To him that believes, it is said, all things are yours. Faith is the assurance of sonship, the pledge of inheritance, the grasp of boundless possession, the perception of the invisible. Within your faith there lies glory, 
just as within the acorn there sleeps a great oak. If you have faith, you do not need to ask for much more, except that your faith may grow exceedingly, and that all the promises which are made to it may be known and grasped by you. Time would fail me to tell of the powers, the privileges, the possessions, and the prospects of faith. He that has it is blessed, for he pleases God. He is justified before the throne of holiness. He has full access to the throne of faith, and he has the preparation for reigning with Christ forever. So far, everything is delightful. But then comes in this word, which somewhat startles, and if we are cowardly, may also frighten the trial of your faith. Note the thorn which grows with this rose. You cannot gather the fragrant flower without its rough companion. You cannot possess the faith without experiencing the trial, nor eat the lamb without the bitter herbs. These two things are put together, faith and trial. And it is of that trial of your faith that I'm going to speak at this time, as God shall help me. It may be, my brother, that words said at this hour shall comfort you while you undergo the sore trial of your faith. May the Holy Spirit who nurtures faith and preserves and perfects it under his trial help our thoughts at this hour. We have six thoughts that will be presented this morning regarding faith and trial. One, your faith will be tried surely. Two, your faith will be tried variously. Three, your faith will be tried individually. Your faith will be tried searchingly. Your faith will be tried for an abundantly useful purpose. And finally, some are tried very specially. And first, let me say of it, your faith will be tried surely. You may rest assured of that. A man may have faith and be for the present without trial, but no man ever had faith and was all his life without trial. That could not, must not be. For faith in the very nature of it implies a degree of trial. I believe the promise of God. So far, my faith is tried in believing the promise, in waiting for the fulfillment of the promise, in holding on to an assurance of that promise while it is delayed, and in continuing to expect the promise and to act upon it until it is in all points fulfilled to me. I do not see how that can be faith at all, which is not tried by its own exercise. Take the very happiest and smoothest lives. There must at any rate be the trial of faith in taking the promise and pleading it before God in prayer and expecting the fulfillment of it. Be not mistaken. God never gave us faith to play with. It is a sword 
and it was not made for presentation on a gala day, nor to be worn on state occasions only, nor to be exhibited upon a parade ground. It is a sword that was meant to cut and wound and slay. And he that wears it can expect between here and heaven that he will know what battle means. Faith is a sound, seagoing vessel, and it was not meant to lie in dock and perish of dry rot. To whom God has given faith, it is as though one gave a lantern to his friend because he expected it to be dark on his way home. The very gift of faith is a hint to you that you will want it, that at certain points and places you will especially require it, and that at all points and in every place you will really need it. You cannot live without faith. For again and again we are told, the just shall live by faith. Believing is our living, and we, therefore, need it always. And if God gave you great faith, my dear brother, you must expect great trials. For in proportion as your faith will grow, you will have to do more and endure more. Little boats may keep close to shore, as becomes little boats. But if God made you a great vessel and loads you with rich freight, he intends that you should know what great waves are and should feel their fury till you see his wonders in the deep. That God, who has made nothing in vain, especially makes nothing in the spiritual kingdom in vain. And if he makes faith, it is with the design that it should be used to the utmost and exercised to the full. Expect trial also because trial is the very element of faith. Faith without trial is like a diamond uncut, the brilliance of which was never seen. Untried faith is such little faith that some have thought it no faith at all. What a fish would be without water, or a bird without air, that would be faith without trial. If you have faith, you may surely expect that your faith will be tested. Will any man say, I have faith, but I've never had to believe under difficulties? Who knows whether you have any faith? Will a man say, I have great faith in God, but I've never had to use it in anything more than ordinary affairs of life, where I could probably have done without it as well as with it? Is this to the honor and praise of your faith? Do you think that such a faith as this will bring any great glory to God or bring you any great reward? If so, you are mightily mistaken. He that has tested God and whom God has tested is the man that shall have it said of him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Had Abraham stopped in Ur of the Chaldees with his friends and rested there and enjoyed himself, what would have happened to his faith? He had God's command to leave his country, to go to a land which he had never seen, to sojourn there with God as a stranger, dwelling in tents. And in his obedience to that call, his faith began to be illustrious. Where had been the glory of his faith if it had not been called to brave and self-denying deeds? 
Would he ever have risen to that supreme height to be the father of the faithful? If he had not grown old and his body dead, and yet he believed that God would give him seed of his aged wife Sarah according to the promise? It was blessed faith that made him feel that nothing was impossible to God. If Isaac had been born to him in the days of his strength, where had been his faith? And when it came to that severer test, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and offer him for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I tell thee of. When he rose up early and cut the wood, and took his son and went three days' journey, setting his face like a flint to obey the command of God. And when at last he drew the knife in faithful obedience to the divine command, then was his faith confessed, commended, and crowned. Then the Lord said, Now I know. As if even to God, the best evidence of Abraham's faith had then been displayed when he staggered not at the promise through unbelief, reckoning that God could restore Isaac from the dead if need be, but that it was his to obey the supreme command and trust all consequences with God. Herein his faith won great renown, and he became the father of the faithful because he was the most tried of believers and yet surpassed them all in childlike belief in his God. If God then has given to any one of us a faith which is honorable and precious, it has surely been submitted to its own due measure of trial. And if it is to be still more precious, it has even more trials to endure. We remember also more reasons for the trial of our faith. The trial of your faith is sent to prove its sincerity If it will not stand trial, what is the good of it? That gold which dissolves in the furnace and disappears amid the flame is not the gold that will be of value with a merchant. And that faith of yours, which is no sooner tried than straightway it evaporates, is it not best to be rid of it? Of what use would it be to you in the hour of death and the day of judgment? No, You cannot be sure that your faith is true faith until it is tried. You cannot be certain that it is worth having until it's been tested. Faith must also have trial to prove its strength. We sometimes dream that we have strong faith when indeed our faith is very weak. And how are we to know whether it's strong or weak until it's tested? A man that should lie in bed week after week and perhaps get the idea into his head that he was very strong, would be pretty certain to be mistaken. Yet it's only when he sets about working, requiring muscular strength, that he will discover how strong or how weak he is. God would not have us form a wrong estimate of ourselves. He does not love that we should say we are rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing when we are the reverse. And therefore he sends us the trial of our faith that we may understand how strong or how weak it is. And besides that, dear friends, the trial of our faith is necessary to remove its dross. There is much filth on even our purest graces. 
we are prone to add to the bulk of our graces without adding to the real value of them. We mistake quantity for quality. And a great deal of what we think we have of Christian experience and Christian knowledge and Christian zeal and Christian patience is only the belief that we have these graces and not the real possession of them. The fire grows fiercer and the mass grows smaller than it was before. Is there any loss herein? I think not. The gold loses nothing by the removal of its dross, and our faith loses nothing by the loss of its apparent strength. Faith may look like it loses, but it actually gains. It may seem to be diminished, but it is not truly diminished. All is there that is worth having. Why, a week ago, says one, I used to sing and think that I had the full assurance of faith, and now I can scarcely tell whether I'm one of God's people or not. Now you know how much faith you really possess. You can now tell how much was solid and how much was sham. Had that which had failed you been real faith, it would not have been consumed by any trial through which it has passed. You have lost the froth from the top of the cup, but all that was really worth having is still there. It must be so, for as faith is not born of earthly things, neither can earthly things kill it, nor even take from it one true particle. Understand then, dear friends, that for many necessary purposes, there is a need for trial. Peter says here, if need be, that there should be a trial of your faith. You will get that trial, because God in his wisdom will give faith what faith needs. Do not be anxious to enter into trial. Do not fret if temptation does not come just now. You will have it time enough. Between the day of our new birth and the day of our entering into our inheritance, we will have quite sufficient trial of our faith. We do not need to be uneasy if for a while we are at ease in life. For there are months enough left to the year to give winter its full measure of frosts and storms. Now, secondly, your faith will be tried variously, in various ways. The trial of our faith does not come to all persons in the same way. There are some whose faith is tried each day in their communion with God. They pray this prayer, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That prayer is heard constantly. The visitations of the Lord are granted to them, and as the Lord comes, he tries them. For believe me, there is no surer trial of our souls than the drawing near of God to our souls. Apart from any outward affliction, that searching thought, that inward feeling that is somewhat more than thought, that holy secret trembling which comes upon our spirit when God draws near, is God's constant trial of our graces. If you walk away from God and live without fellowship with him, you can keep in your heart much falsehood and think that you're full of spiritual gifts and graces. But if you draw near to God and walk with him, you will not be able to hold a false opinion of yourself. Remember, 
what the Lord is. Our God is a consuming fire. God in Christ, who is our God, is a consuming fire. And when his people live in him, the very presence of God consumes in them their love of sin and all their pretentious graces and fictitious attainments, so that the false disappears and only the true survives. The presence of perfect holiness is killing to empty boasts and hollow pretenses. You need not ask for any of these various forms of trial which God sends in the order of providence. You may rest quite satisfied with his presence as the most effectual cleansing. For his fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor. Whenever Jesus abides with us, he will sit as a refiner. Whoever he may leave alone in their defilement, he will purify the sons of Levi. It is the Lord himself that will be as a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Who may abide the day of his coming? Who that loves holiness would wish to escape it? Our prayer should be, refining fire go through my soul. Yes, let the devouring flame go through me and through me yet again till this earthly grossness will begin to disappear. As Moses soon put his shoes off from his feet when he beheld God at the burning bush, so shall we put off the excess of our supposed spiritual experience and come to the real naked foot of truth if we are permitted to stand before God in accepted sincerity. But the Lord uses other methods with his servants. I believe that he frequently tries us by the blessings which he sends us. This is a fact which is too much overlooked. When a man is permitted to grow rich, what a trial of faith is hidden away in that condition. It is one of the severest of providential tests. Where I have known one man to fail through poverty, I have known 50 men fail through riches. When our friends do well in the world and have a long stretch of prosperity, they should invite their brethren to offer special prayer for them that they may be preserved. For the thick clay is heavy stuff to walk upon, and when the feet slip into it and it sticks to you, it makes traveling to heaven a very difficult thing. When we do not cling to wealth, it will not harm us, but there is a great deal of glue in money. You that have no riches may yet find a test in your daily mercies. Your domestic comfort, that loving wife, those dear children, all these may tempt you to walk by sight instead of by faith. Yes, and continued health, the absence of all depression of spirit, and the rich presence of friends and relatives may all make you self-contented and keep you away from your God. It's a great trial of faith to have much for sight to rest upon. To be in the dark, altogether in the dark, is wonderful for faith, because then you are sure that what you see is not seen of the flesh, but is indeed a vision of spiritual faith. To be under a cloud is a trial, truly, but not one half so much a trial as it is to have continually the light of this world.
We are so prone to mistake the light of carnal comfort for the light of God that it's well for us to see how we fare without it. One form of this trial is praise. You know how Solomon puts it, as the fining pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. A Christian minister may go on preaching very earnestly, and God will help him, though everyone opposes him. But when the world comes and pats him on the back and pride whispers, you're a fine fellow, you're a great man, then comes the test of the man. How few there are that can endure the warm atmosphere of congratulation. It is dangerously relaxing to the spirit. Yes, nobody can keep himself right under it unless the almighty grace of God will sustain his faith. When the soft winds blow, they bring with them the temptation. Now preach the doctrines that tickle men's ears. Go in to be scientific and learned and clever. Get the approval of the great ones of the world and the leaders of advanced thought in the church. And unless you say, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, such a trial of faith may be too much for you. Oh, says one, that will not happen to me. No, no, you will not be a popular preacher, perhaps. But then you may be very acceptable in your small corner of the world, and worldly people may flatter you to the verge of ruin. You sing very nicely. Do you not? Well, they may want you to sing them a song that is not one of the songs of Zion. Because of your natural attainments and your pleasant manner, you may become a great favorite with ungodly people, and that is an intense trial to the faith of a child of God. The friendship of the world is as much enmity with God as it used to be in apostolic times. It's a bad sign when a courtier is in great favor with the king's enemies. Stand up and stand out as the servant of God, and in whatever sphere you move, make it your one and only business to serve my God, whether you offend or please. Happy shall you be if you survive the trial of your faith, which this will involve. Another trial of faith is exceedingly common and perilous nowadays, and that is heretical doctrine and false teaching. There are some who are carried away with this wind of doctrine and others carried away with the other. And blessed is he who is not offended in Christ. For naturally the cross of Christ is offensive to the minds of men. There are temptations that rise out of the gospel itself. Yea, out of its very depth and breadth. There is a trial of faith in reading the scriptures. You come across a doctrine which you cannot understand and because you cannot understand it, you're tempted to reject it. Or, when a truth which you've received appears to be hard and it speaks to you in an unlovely fashion so that your natural feelings are aroused against it, this is a trial of your faith. Remember how our Lord Jesus lost quite a company of disciples on a certain occasion. He taught a doctrine about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And from that hour, many went back and walked no more with him till the Savior had to say, even to the twelve, will ye also go away? Truth is not always welcome. Truth is not always welcome to our ignorance or to our prejudice, and herein is a trial of faith. Will we believe ourselves 
or our God? Do we want to believe God's truth or do we wish to have the Lord's message flavored to our taste? Do we expect the preacher to play our chosen tunes and speak our opinions? Beloved, it does us good to be well scraped sometimes. To have a word come to us, not as sweet wine, but as a purging medicine that will search us through and through and make us inquire before God, are we true men or are we aliens? If we run in the same line with God's truth, we are true. But when we run counter to the truth of God, we are ourselves untrue. It is not the book that is to be altered. Our hearts need altering. Happy is the man whose faith can endure the trial of the book. Is not the word of the Lord like a fire or a hammer? This is so even to the Lord's own people. But the trial of our faith usually comes in the form of affliction. Our jealous lover uses tests that it may be seen whether he has our heart. The trial of our faith comes thus. You say, Lord Jesus, I love you. You are my best beloved. Well, says the heavenly lover, if it is so, then that child that nestles in your bosom will get sick and die. What will you say then? If you are true in what you've stated concerning your supreme love to Jesus, you will give up your darling at his call and say, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is very jealous of our love. I do not mean that he is so towards all of you. I speak of his own people. The more he loves us, the more he tests us. Whatever it may be with us poor creatures, it is always so with Jesus. That his love goes with his jealousy and his jealousy with his love. Sometimes he says, good woman, I will take away your husband on whom you lean so that you may lean the more on me. I remember Mr. Rutherford writing to a lady who had lost five children and her husband say to her, Oh, how Christ must love you. He would take every bit of your heart to himself. He would not permit you to reserve any of your soul for any earthly thing. Can we stand that test? Can we let all go for his sake? Do you answer that you can? Time will show. The Lord sometimes comes to me in this fashion. He says, I've made you to trust me these many years. I've supplied the needs of your work by generous friends. I'm about to remove a generous helper. I go to the grave of my friend and the suggestion dogs me. Who is to provide for the orphanage and the college after other dear friends are buried? Can you trust God then? Blessed be the name of the Lord. This fiery trial has never even left the smell of fire upon me. I know whom I have believed. Then a dear brother, our best worker, our hardiest helper, comes to me and says, Goodbye, dear pastor. Perhaps I may never see you again on this earth. 
He's very ill and about to lie under the surgeon's knife, and the fear is that he may not recover. I go home and say to myself, what shall I do without this useful man? And then I have to say, why, do? Do what I've done before. Trust in the living God. If you once get to walk the walk of faith, the Lord will often try you in this way to see whether you come up to your own confession, whether you really trust in the Lord and have your expectation from him alone. If every earthly prop were knocked away, could you stand by the lone power of your foundation? God may not send you this or that trial, but he will send you a sufficient amount of trial to let you see whether your faith is truth or talk, whether you've truly entered the spiritual world or have only dreamed of doing so. Believe me, there's a great difference between a real diamond and an imitation, and the Lord will not be mistaken in the end. So you see, the trials of faith are very various. In the third place, your faith will be tried individually. The text says, the trial of your faith. Oh, dear friend, it's an interesting subject, is it not? The trial of faith. It is not that pleasant to study alone the trial of your faith. It is stern work when it comes to be your trial and the trial of your faith. You've not gone much into that particular department, perhaps. Well, I say again, do not wish to do so. Do not ask for trials. Children must not ask to be whipped. Nor saints pray to be tested. There's a little book which you will have to eat. It will be bitter in your mouth, but sweet in your bowels. That book is the trial of your faith. The Lord Jesus has been glorified by the trial of his people's faith. He has to be glorified by the trial of your faith. You are very obscure, perhaps, dear brother. You have but few talents, my dear sister. But nevertheless, there is a particular shape and form of trial that will have to be exercised upon you rather than upon anyone else. Oh, say you, I know it, sir, I know it. Well then, if you know it, do not complain about it. Because when you have your own trial and the trial of your own faith, you are only treated like the rest of the family. What son is there whom the father chastens not? You were only treated like the rest of the family. You were only treated in the way which the great father of the family knows is necessary for us all. God had one son without sin, but he never had a son without trial. And he never will until he's taken us all home out of this world. Why should we expect that God should deal better with us than he does with the rest of his chosen? Indeed, it would not be better after all, because these trials are the means of working out our lasting good. But if it were not so, who am I and who are you that God should pamper us? Would we have him put us in a glass case and shield us from trials, which are so common to all the chosen seed? I ask no such portion. Let me fare as the saints fare. I only wish to have their bread and their water, and love their father, and follow their guide, and find their home. We will take our meals with them. Whatever God puts upon the table for them, will we not? 
The trial of our faith will be all our own. And yet, it will be in fellowship with all the family of grace. Your faith will be tried searchingly. It will be no child's play to come under the divine tests. It is tried with fire. For so it is written, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. The blows of the flail of tribulation are not given lightly, but in awful earnest, as some of us know who have been chastened sorely, almost unto death. The Lord tries the very life of our faith, not its beauty and its strength alone, but its very existence. The iron enters into the soul. The sharp medicine searches the inmost parts of the belly. The man's real self is made to endure the trial. It's easy to talk of being tried, but it is by no means so simple a matter to endure the ordeal. Let me yet further observe that your faith will be tried for an abundantly useful purpose. The trial of your faith will increase, develop, deepen, and strengthen it. Oh, you've said, I wish I had more faith. Your prayer will be heard through your having more trial. Often in our prayers, we have sought for stronger faith to look within the veil. The way to stronger faith usually lies along the rough pathway of sorrow. Only as faith is contested will faith be confirmed. I do not know whether my experience is that of all God's people, but I am afraid that all the grace that I have got out of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie on a penny. But the good that I have received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. What do I not owe to the hammer and the anvil, the fire and the file? What do I not owe to the crucible and the furnace, the bellows that have blown up the coals and the hand which has thrust me into the heat? Affliction is the best bit of furniture in my house. It is the best book in the minister's library. We may wisely rejoice in tribulation, because it worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and by that way we are exceedingly enriched, and our faith grows strong. The trial of our faith is useful, not only because it strengthens it, but because it leads to a discovery of faith to ourselves. I noticed an old Puritan using this illustration. He says, you will go into a forest when you please, but if you're very quiet, you will not know whether there's a partridge or a pheasant or a rabbit in it. But when you begin to move about or make a noise, you very soon see the living creatures. They rise or they run. So when affliction comes into the soul and makes a disturbance and breaks our peace, up rise our graces. Faith comes out of its hiding and love leaps from its secret place. I remember a man saying that birds' nests are hard to find in summertime, but anyone can find a bird's nest in winter. When all the leaves are off the trees, the nests are visible to all. 
Often in our days of prosperity, we fail to find our faith. But when our adversity comes, the winter of our trial bears the branches and we see our faith at once. We are sure that we believe now, for we feel the effect of faith upon our character. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, said David, but now I have kept thy word. He found that his faith was really there by his keeping God's word in the time of his affliction. It is great mercy then to have your faith tried, so that you may be sure beyond question that you are a true believer. Besides, when faith is tried, it brings God glory. Oh, how it honors God when a man can say with a smiling face in prospect of death, Goodbye, dear sir, I may never see you here again, but we shall meet above. We who are in health envy the brother who has such joy amid sharp pain. I went the other day to see a brother who has since then gone above. He was close to the brink of death, but to hear the song of assurance and the utterances of his joy was most sweet and cheering. It made me feel how good God is to his servants. He never leaves or forsakes them when they come to their most painful times. This trial of our faith does good to our fellow Christians. They see how we are supported and they learn to bear their troubles bravely. I do not know anything that is better for making us brave than to see others believe in Christ and bear up manfully. To see that blind saint so happy makes us ashamed to be sad. To see content in the impoverished compels us to be thankful. Sufferers are our tutors. They educate us for the skies. When men of God can suffer, when they can bear poverty, bereavement, or sickness, and still rejoice in God, we learn the way to live the higher and more Christly life. When Patrick Hamilton had been burned in Scotland, one said to his persecutors, If you're going to burn any more, you'd better do it in a cellar, for the smoke of Hamilton's burnings has opened the eyes of hundreds. It was always so. Suffering saints are living seed. Oh, that God might help us to such faith that when we come to suffer in life or to expire in death, we may so glorify God that others may believe in him. May we preach sermons by our faith which shall be better than sermons in words. My time has gone. And I have much to say to you. I want to say to you about the trial of your faith, dear friends, that some are tried very specially. Some endure more tests than others, and that is because God has a great favor to them. Many men God does not love well enough to whip them. They are the devil's children, and the Heavenly Father does not trouble them. They are none of his, and so he lets them have a happy life and perhaps an easy death. There are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. But they are to be pitied and not envied. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall weep. Woe unto you who have your portion in this life, for it shall go ill with you in the world to come. God's children 
are often much chastened because they are much loved. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Some persons are also much tried in their faith because they're very fit for it. God has fitted the back for a heavy burden and the burden will be sent. He has constituted them on purpose that they should be helpful in filling up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ for his body's sake, which is the church. Men build strong columns because they're meant to carry great weights. So God makes great Christians on purpose that they should bear great afflictions for his glory. He does this also because he would have some men do him a special service. What an honor it is to do the Lord a special service. When some man in our army behaves himself very grandly and wins a battle, what will Her Majesty do? Why, she will send for him the next time a war arises. If any of you are brave in affliction, you shall have the honor of enduring more affliction. Does not every soldier desire the opportunity of service? He that looks over his soldiers says of a certain one, I shall not send him, he's feeble and faint-hearted. That veteran there, that's the man for me. Do not think that you would be honored by being allowed to ride to heaven on a feather bed. True honor lies in being permitted to bear and suffer side by side with him of the bloody sweat and of the five open wounds. This is the reward of the saints, that they should on earth be decorated with many a sorrow, many a tear. They shall walk with their Lord in white, for they are worthy. Yes, dear friends, the Lord often sends us greater trials than others because he means to qualify us for greater enjoyments. If you want to make a pool capable of holding more water, you dig it out, do you not? And many a man has been dug and enlarged by affliction. The enlargements of trial enable us to hold more grace and more glory. The more a gracious man suffers, the more he becomes capable of entering into fellowship with Christ in his sufferings. And so into fellowship with Christ in his glory by and by. Come. Let us be comforted as to the trial of our faith. There is no hurt in it. It is all for good. The trial of our faith is entirely in the hands of God. Nobody can try us without God's permission. He will try us just as much as we ought to be tried and no more. While he tries us with one hand, he will sustain us with the other. If he gives us bitters, he will give us sweets in full proportion. A dear sister said to me recently, when I used to be in poverty and in trouble, the word of God was much more sweet to me than it is now that I am prospered. I do not wonder at it. I have made a similar remark when I have been long without an illness. Some of us have cried, 
Take me back to my sickness again. Take me back to slander and rebuke. A Scottish saint said that when they met in the mosque or by the hillside under persecution, Christ was present at the sacraments in the heather much more than he ever was afterwards when they got into the church and sat down quietly. Our worst days are often our best days. And in the dark, we see stars that we never saw in the light. So we will not care a pin what it is that may befall us here, so long as God is with us and our faith in him is genuine. Christian people, I am not going to grieve with you, but I congratulate you upon your troubles, for the cross of Christ is precious. But you that do not love my Lord and Master, if you roll in riches, if your eyes stand out with fatness, I mourn over you. Bullocks fattened for the slaughter, your joys are but the prelude to your woes. Oh, that God would have mercy upon you, and that you would have mercy upon yourselves and flee at once to Jesus and put your trust in him. Faith in the work, offices, and person of the Lord Jesus is the way of salvation. May he help you to run in it at this hour for his name's sake. Amen. We will now pray. Lord, thank you for the trial of our faith. Thank you that you work in it. Thank you that you remove the dross. Refining fire, go through our souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.